awesome to be able to have a little bit of time. Oh, so we're going to start things just a little bit differently this morning. We are actually going to start with a story. And as many of you all don't go to children's Bible class, you're going to get a taste of what children's Bible class lessons are. So if you ever get asked, then you will know kind of what's expected of you. Um, and then we're going to dovetail off of that and go into the main message. But we are going to start with a story of a man that many of us know fairly well. His name was Lot. And we know that he was following Abraham, his uncle, and they were traveling through Canaan. They were tent... I'm sorry, getting nervous. They're living in tents and traveling through this land, sojourning. Um, and it says there was a great famine on the land. So they went to Egypt where the famine wasn't as bad. And they're living there, and as they're coming there, Abraham is looking at his wife, who is also his half-sister, and he's like, you know what? You are extremely beautiful. Everybody's going to want you. They're going to want you. And so let's say when people ask who you are, let's say you're my sister. That way they won't kill me to get you. And so they went there and they're telling people, you know, this is my sister. And so the king was like, oh, this is my sister. Well, she's very beautiful. You come live with me. So she went and lived with the king. And it says the king was giving Abraham camels, oxen, goats, all these many things. And Abraham became very, very rich during this time. Um, and the famine wasn't touching Egypt. It said Egypt was as the Garden of Eden or the Garden of the Lord. It was very, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. That was later. Um, but God saw that Sarah was living with the king and that this was wrong. So he sent plagues and he was sending plagues on Egypt. And soon the king of Egypt, he got wind of, hey, you know, this is not you're just your sister like you said it was. Like, this is, this is wrong. So he sent Sarah back and was like, hey, y'all get out of here. Like, I don't want to see you anymore. I'm tired of the plagues. And so they came and they went to a different part of the land. They were coming up close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they said they had all their herds with them, all their stuff with them. And they said they were exceedingly wealthy. They had many herds that Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, actually couldn't even stay with Abraham, right? They were together, and their herdsmen were fighting with each other just extremely much. And they're like, look, let's keep the peace. And they went up on the mountain, and Abraham told Lot, he's like, look, you choose where you want to live. And Lot said, I'm going to choose this land over here by Sodom and Gomorrah, which is extremely well watered. And that's where it says it was as well watered as the gardens of Eden. So if I think of the Garden of Eden, that was a very, very nice land. And Lot said, I'm going to go there. Abraham's like, okay, you can have that. I'll come over here and I'll live over here and we'll be separate. We'll be friends. Well, then we know how the story goes. They went on. Abraham got old. And one day God sent... Oh, Pardon me if I get this wrong. God either sent an angel or God came and talked to Abraham. I can't remember which. I think God came and was talking with Abraham. And he was like, look, he had, I'm skipping over part of the story, but eventually he said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They're extremely sinful. And Abraham started thinking. He's like, look, 
My nephew and his wife and his children, his family, they're living over here in Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you going to just destroy them too? So he's like, you know, if there's 50 people, God, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, will you destroy them? God's like, no, I'll spare them if there's 50. And Abraham started thinking, you know what? Maybe some of my nephew's children, they're not as righteous as they should be. God, maybe if there's 20 people, will you, will you still spare them? God's like, yeah, I'll spare them. Abraham's like, no, no, what if there's 10? If there's 10, there's only 10 of them. Yeah, I'll spare them if there's 10. And so Abraham's probably thinking, well, I whittled God down pretty far. Let's leave it at that. And he went and he, so God left. And then it says, jumps stories. And now we're looking at it from Lot's part. Lot was sitting in the city gate. There's two angels came walking up. I don't think he knew they were angels. But they came to the city and Lot was like, look, this is a dangerous place. You can't stay out on the streets. Come to my house for the night. And he sent them there, or he brought them to the house. And we know how the story goes. There was the men of the city came, and they wanted to be wicked. And the angels blinded the men and sent them home so that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. So I'm pretty sure at that point, Lot and his wife, his family, they probably knew that there was something different about these people. So they should have known that it was God sending them and trusting them. Well, the next day, the angels are like, look, God is going to destroy the city. Y'all need to get out. And y'all just need to trust God and, and leave. So it says they didn't really want to. God, a Lot went and he was telling all his family. And eventually the angels were like, look, it's coming. And it's coming quick. You guys come. And he grabbed Lot, his wife, and two sisters took them out of the city like, look, you need to trust God and don't look back. Well, we know how the story goes, right? This lady called Lot's wife, we don't even know her name. She didn't trust God as much as she should have. And she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt, right? So today we are going to talk about trust. We need different than what Lot's wife was. We need to trust what God has. So, today is going to be, I'm going to be looking at some of the ways that we show that we don't trust God. And this is very much a sermon for me. I told Steph, I don't feel like I should be giving it, but it's felt like what I felt like I should be giving, so it's what we will. So some of the ways we don't trust God can be doubt, worry, anxiety, fear, or a big one for me is insecurity. And we have a little example over here. So y'all know what this is, right? Food coloring. Don't want to give it to kids because it will make a mess and it's everything. We'll have two different jars here that we are going to say that each drop of food coloring is like a seed of insecurity or doubt coming into our mind. Okay? And we'll do it in that one, and we will also do it in this one. It is very easy for us to be insecure or worried about something. 
And it colors everything pretty quick, and we can become very dark. Oh, let's make sure we get that on right. Oh, well. Just shake it up like that. We can come very dark pretty quick. All right? And there's two different jars there. We'll get to that in a, after, towards the end of the sermon. Um, insecurity. There's a lot of ways that insecurity can show up in our lives or reasons that we can come to have insecurity. One, we can look to friendships, job, wealth, or our social status for our security. And if you're looking to that, it's very temporal stuff. It doesn't really, there's nothing that really matters. There's nothing that's really secure. Everything changes all the time. Here's a quote for it. I spend money I don't have to buy things I don't need to impress people that I don't like. So if that applies to you, you probably have just a little bit of an issue. Um, and I think that Lot's wife, I think she was looking to her wealth or her husband's wealth and their friends for security. Um, she wasn't trusting in God. And that's why she's like, she knows she's not supposed to turn around. She's supposed to just trust God. But it's really hard to just, just rest there. And so she's like, just looking back one time, because I, I want to see well, everything I'm leaving behind. And that's all it took. God was like, no, sorry. I told you not to. Another one is worrying about what others think about you. Um... That one's very easy to fall into, very common. So a quote about insecurity. Insecure people have a special sensitivity for anything that finally confirms their, low, their own low opinion of themselves. It's a quote by Sue Grafton. I think this is a fairly true quote, but it becomes especially painful if you are insecure and you really care about what others think of you. Because then all of a sudden, if somebody says something that wasn't even what they meant, but I can take it as, oh, they think this about me. This about me. And that means it must be true, right? No, not always. And it may not even be what they meant. But it is something that we... I need to be aware of for myself. And then you can also feel like you're not necessary within something. I look across the church here, and there's many other people that I think could be doing a much better job at being up here preaching, or whatever the job may be. I feel like I'm pretty low on the totem pole myself, and so I don't feel like I am needed always. Or you can worry about the future. Don't know what's coming with the government. We don't know what's coming with lots of stuff. Don't know what the stock market's going to do if you're interested in the stock market or inflation's coming. There's lots of things that we really don't know about what's coming, so we can worry about the future. But I don't know if you know it or not, but the Bible says something about each of these pretty much. And so I am looking specifically at insecurities, but these same things can also apply to doubt and worry, worry especially. 
because worry and insecurity found in my studying are very, very similar. Um, so what does the Bible say about looking to friendships, jobs, wealth, or status for our security? We will turn to Matthew 6, 24 through 34. And I'm going to be reading a lot of passages, so you don't have to turn there. I will have them up on the screen. So Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Take, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? And wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Just that, that is like, don't worry about this temporal stuff of the world. Like, I'm going to take care of you. So that's what the Bible says in there. Another verse that speaks to this is Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there are any praise, meditate on these things. The things which ye have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the peace of God will be with you. At the very first verse in that, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, tell it to God. Let God know what you're thinking about. What are you worrying about? And he'll take care of it. That's an awesome promise. So then you can go on to, okay, well, what about people worrying about, or what about people worrying about what people think about you? Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but so whoso bringeth but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And I actually, I was going to get another reference in here this morning. I think it's Jeremiah 7, 25, but I didn't get there. So 
I'm not going to touch on that one, but it's again saying people who trust man will fall. People who trust God will exceed or excel. Um, and it's just That no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but the, by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God who worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of the knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the works of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues, but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. But as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would you hear? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased them. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our comely parts have become, have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked.
that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So going back to verses 13 through 19, God is talking about church, or Paul is talking about church as a body. And he's basically saying, look, the hands are very important, right? We use it all the time to write, to do whatever. We need the hands. But if we were all hands, how would we see? If we were all feet, how would we smell? <laughs> so, everything is important. Some are different. Some may have gifts that don't feel as necessary. So, like the gift of helps, for example. We don't hear much about that one. But just going and having the gift of being able to lend a helping hand, it's very important. Is it somebody that's up in the front of the church and leading out all the time? No. But, uh, let me see if I can find the slide. Uh, but now, verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Did you know that God puts you in this church? And that it pleases him that you're here? To me, that's a, that's a, I never, that verse never jumped out at me until I was studying it this time. And I was like, oh, Okay, well, maybe, maybe God does have a purpose for me here, even if I don't feel like I'm necessary, yeah? even if I don't feel like I'm needed. So then we can go to worrying about the future. I'm not going to read it again, but Matthew 6, 24 through 34. It talks about worrying about food and clothes for tomorrow or for later on. And then Romans 8, 38. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I'm looking specifically at nor things present, nor things to come. That is in the future. If we are getting our security from God where we should be, we don't have to worry about the future because the only thing that is important is that we live in God, and we trust in God, and there's nothing that is going to be able to take that away. So there's a very common theme running through these references, and I touched on it all the way at the beginning. Trust. So insecurity is basically you say, I am trusting God, or I'm trusting the world and things of this world, whether it's people, whether it's wealth, whether it is your social status. That's what I am trusting rather than God. And I think that's wrong. So then it, that got me thinking, okay, so I hear this word called trust. But what does trust actually mean? 
So Merriam-Webster has this definition of trust. It is an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. So I don't know if y'all know anything about God. I'm learning more all the time. But I think we can have an assured reliance on God. Because God never changes. He is very dependable. He is holy. He is perfect. God is gracious. God is mercy. God is just. God is good. God is wise. And the list can go on and on. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He, yeah, I look at that and I say, you know, God is this really awesome God. This really awesome being. And he really doesn't need anything from me. Really doesn't. But he wants a relationship with me, and he made a way so that we can have a relationship. It's not by anything that I can do. But we all know that Christ came down and died on the cross so that we can have that relationship with him and that we can trust God. Again, it is not anything that we can do. So we become new creatures. So I don't know if any of you all paid attention to this. But I put food coloring in both of these. One turned back to clear. That's the example of us trusting God. We have a new mind. We become renewed. This is the example of us not trusting God. Still looks really dark. We can get discouraged. We have this worry about things coming up or... For me, one that comes up in my job, since I have to find my own work, I don't know where my work's coming from all the time. It's hard to trust God and just say, okay, God, I know that you're going to have it. But, thankfully, through the process of trusting God, we can renew our mind. It doesn't always happen right away. It's a process. But if you watch this long enough, it too will become like the other one. It will become renewed. It will become clear. It will become clean. If you look close, you can see it starting to happen already. Like I said, it's not a very fast process. And I'll hold it up here in just a little bit. And a reference for that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are come new. I don't have to worry anymore because I am a new creature. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ our Lord. I like that verse really jumped out at me. There's nothing that will take it away if we trust him. But we have to trust him. And so there's all kinds of promises that God gave us. And we can believe them because he is dependable. He doesn't change. God promises to hear your cries. Psalms 10, 17. You, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will... He heareth us. I'm sorry, I read both of those together. I hope you saw the switch there. Switch from Psalms to 1 John. But God promises compassion and comfort. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries, all your cares on God. He cares about you. He wants you to have that peace, that joy. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. God promises to be faithful. And there's a lot more references that I could put under each of these. But Psalms 9.10, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God promises to guide us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the paths I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows what's going to happen. He knows what the plan is he has for us, but we need to trust him in that plan and follow him in that plan, and he will make things straight. They may not always seem straight to us. I will put that out there. They won't always seem perfectly straight, and I know exactly where I'm going. But if we trust him and we start going, God will lead us. God promises to always love us. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. So God has a lot of promises. And I see this needs to be given a stir, and I'm kind of scared to stir it a lot. But you can see it's working. It's working from the bottom up because the stuff I poured in is on the bottom, but it's clarifying it. And if I would be able to stir it thoroughly, maybe pouring it back and forth will work. It will clear up. And God renews our mind. He makes so that we can... See clearly. He makes so we can trust him. I'll let that sit for just a little bit more. So I'm thankful, very thankful to God and his promises to care for us, to love us. He's definitely worthy of our trust. But it's a choice on our part. It's really hard to do sometimes to just sit back and trust God and know that what he has is right for us. To know that... He does hear us, that he does care about what's going to happen for us. But I just have one more slide. And this is verses talking about trusting in God. And if you do, this is what will happen. Psalms 37, 3 to 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs 16, 20. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. Whoever trusts in him, happy is he. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And this is Isaiah talking to God. He is saying, you will keep them in peace because they trust on you. If their mind, who's, him whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you, you will give him peace. And then Psalms 32, 10 to 11. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So if you look down through there, I'm seeing joy, peace, mercy, happiness. These are all things that will come to our hearts if we trust in God. And so my self-check is this. If I need joy because I'm really grouchy and things just aren't going right and worried about work and I need that joy, am I trusting God? No, probably need to work on it. If I'm really worried about stuff and I don't have that inner peace, yeah, I probably need to work on my trust. I probably need to learn to dwell with God, to just, just stay there in his plan for me. And I would leave that with you. And again, here you can see it's not perfectly clear yet. It'll clear up just a little bit more. But God can renew our minds. He can take that darkness and he can give us joy. He can give us peace. And I praise him for that.